0: So as I said, my name's Dwayne. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if we haven't met, if we have met, I'm still Dwayne. Um, oh, that's an old joke. Sorry, um, but uh, uh, I'm talking to you guys today. Uh, the topic is our children are holy. We are in this message series called Everything Is Holy. And so, before I get started, two things I want to point out today. Uh, number one, I did not construct this message by myself. Um, for good or bad. Uh, I actually uh, worked on it with my wife, Elisa, because she has so much experience in child development, and so we talked a lot about this, so I want to give her a shout out there. Uh, and secondly, speaking of children, um, I used to have two teenagers yesterday, and today I no longer have two teenagers. I have one teenager only because my daughter is turning 20 today. Kason, happy birthday. So if you see Kaysen... Uh, be sure to say happy birthday. Um, but I wanted to start with a little bit of laughter and a little bit of uh, contemplation about what it means to be a kid. So um, here we go.
1: Right now we're about to go head-to-head in the first ever Tonight Show Stand-Up Battle. Now here's how this works. This, this is the stand-up generator, and we'll each take turns hitting this button right here, which will randomly select the name of a short stand-up routine written by you, Jerry Seinfeld. This is some of my stuff, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now we'll perform now, it as best we can. You know this is all can. set up. This is not real. No, but, it's it's real. It's real. <laughs> no, they're gonna they're gonna decide, right? They're go- yes, they're yeah. going to decide. Yeah. <laughs> we'll perform it as best we can. At the end, we'll decide once and for all who is the better Jerry Seinfeld, me, or Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> right. Uh, Jerry, it. since. Since you wrote the, all these bits, uh, uh, why don't you go first? Let's okay. start the generator. Here all we go. Start the generator. Yeah, here we go. Now this wow. And press the thing it when it really you're ready works. To go. Hey, those are really my bits on there. Those are your bits. Wait, Wait up. Wait up. All right, now this bit is called Wait Up. It's on cue cards. Do you remember the, the I bit? do. I remember this one. You, this is uh, actually part of a Halloween routine. This is, uh, this is a good bit. Okay. You're going to, let's see, you follow this. <laughs> All right, so one of the things that's different about being a kid is kids don't want other kids to wait. They want them to wait up. Would you wait up? Everything with kids is up. Wait up, hold up, shut up. Mama, clean up, just let me stay up. With parents, the opposite. Everything's down, calm down. Slow down, come down here. Sit down, put that down. All right, you're grounded, and keep it down in there.
0: <laughs> so that's the bit. Everything with parents is down. <clears throat> and, of course, I lost the connection here. That's all right. You can move to the next slide for me if you want to do that. Thanks. Um, so, so today my task is I'm going to have to convince you that children are holy, and, uh, and I say convince on purpose, because even though I'm going to stand up here and say children are holy, and you're going to nod your head in agreement and say, oh yes, of course, children are holy, they're beautiful, they're wonderful. And then, of course, I'm going to read to you some, some scripture passages where Jesus talks about children in a very positive way, and you're going to say, yes, of course, yes, our children are holy. Deep down inside, I'm still going to have to convince you, because all of us deep down inside are ageist. We are, aren't we? We're ageist. Because our society is really only set up for people between certain ages. And we take those who are younger and take those who are older, and we sort of push them to the margins. We say, oh, no, you need to go to that special place where they have activities for you to do. <laughs> like, what is the difference between a preschool and a senior center? Like, right? It's, it's really all designed to just get them out of our way so we can live the life that we're supposed to live, Right? I'm joking about it. It's terrible. That's not the way it should be. But we sort of do, right? Like, our whole society is kind of set up to be designed for adults. So we're a little bit ageist. So I'm going to have to convince you uh, that children are holy. And and I hope I can do that. We're going to start with a definition of holy that we've gone back to every week. And that is this. Holy means that something is uniquely purposed for God. We always think about holy, uh, bad connotations, holier than thou, or, or you're acting super religious, or you're judgy, right? That's not what it means. It really just means set apart for a special purpose, right? Consecrated to a special purpose, and in this context, marked by God for something that he wants to do. So that's what holy is. So how is it that our children are holy? Uh, well, I promise you I would start with some Bible verses, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about some scripture. There are two stories... In the Gospels. uh, And actually both stories appear in all three of the synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, And so I'm going to address both of them. But not all three places. I'll just read one of each. Uh, So the first one I want to read is from Mark chapter 10. uh, And uh, says this. People were bringing little children to Jesus. For him to place his hands on them. That is for a blessing. So they wanted to bring their kids to Jesus so he would bless the children. But... The disciples rebuked them. The disciples were basically, basically like, oh, don't bother him. Get away, right? Go go to your daycare and go do child things. We're doing grown-up things here, folks. And so the disciples rebuked them because, you know, it was a bother. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. I love that word. He was, he was upset. He was indignant about this. He said to them, presumably to the disciples... But so everyone could hear. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Wow. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And then he says, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms placed his hands on them, and blessed them. That's a pretty powerful thing. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. It doesn't sound like he's pushing them to the margins. It doesn't sound like he's saying, oh, someday they'll be older and smarter and we can actually talk to them about important things. He's saying, no, don't hinder them. Let them come to me. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. The other story, uh, I'm going to tell you the one from Matthew 18. And that starts like this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, I have to take a little aside here for a moment because our definition of children may need some readjustment. The definition of child has sort of uh, changed over the years. It varies from culture to culture, uh, and even in our culture, right? So, um, in certain religious traditions, the the age when you sort of become an adult in your faith tradition might be uh, 12 or 13, right? You might uh, have a bar mitzvah or you might go through confirmation in whatever tradition you're in. And that's sort of your entry into adulthood. But then, you know, other cultures, maybe you have a quinceanera and that's when you're 15, when you're sort of more an adult. Or a sweet 16, that may be something. Uh, we get You would get your driver's license at 16, that's a big adult step, right? But then 18 comes, and 18, the law says pretty much... You know, you can do almost anything you want at 18. You can vote, you can go to war. Um, and then at 21, uh, you're allowed to, to buy certain things uh, from certain stores that you might want to drink. Um, and that's 21, but under no circumstances can you rent a car until you're 25, right? So we have all these markers along the way that, that c- kind of tell us when we're an adult or when we're a child. But for the most part, we don't really think of teenagers as adults, But here's the thing. You may or may not know this. The disciples who were asking Jesus this question, who walked around with Jesus, the disciples were all teenagers. Let me say that again for emphasis. The disciples of Jesus were all teenagers. How do we know this? Why do we know this? Because the age at which a young man would seek to to attach himself to a rabbi as a disciple generally happened between the ages of 13 and 16. So kind of after the bar mitzvah, and what would happen is uh, the young man would, if they wanted to study with the rabbi, would approach the rabbi and would ask, may I follow you? And the rabbi would allow them to or not allow them to. We know Jesus flipped that. His disciples didn't come to him. Jesus went to the disciples and said, come follow me. And it might have been that they were a little older than 13 or 14 when they started, some of them. Uh, Maybe they got passed over by all the cool rabbis in town, so they just had to go fishing with Dad, and that was all they were left. Whatever, we don't really know that. But we do know they would have started this journey with Jesus somewhere between the ages of 13 to 16. Simon Peter was the oldest. He was probably around late teens, maybe early 20s, um, because there are references to him actually being married at some point during those three years. But the youngest was John, and John probably started this journey with Jesus when he was around 14 or 15. So, next time you're reading the Gospel of John, (laughs) the next time you're reading maybe 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, he was older, of course, when he wrote those things, but we're talking about the experiences of a teenager that we have founded our faith on. (laughs) It's a little scary because I have teenagers. (laughs) Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a little afraid to send my teenagers into the grocery store alone, you know. And it's like, here we go. Here's the teachings of Jesus. We trust you with this. Go save the world. Uh, go into all the world and make disciples, teenagers. Um, anyway, the point is, we got to readjust what we're thinking about when we're thinking about whether kids or teenagers even are old enough or mature enough to, to handle something, right? Back to this verse. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked who then is the greatest in the, kingdom of Kev- in the kingdom of heaven? And see, now that question makes sense, right? Because we know they're teenagers. They're like, who's better? I'm better. No, you're better. I'm, not, I'm Jesus, who's best in the kingdom? Right? That's a teenager thing. That's a teenager thing. So they ask this question, and Jesus Jesus engages in an object lesson. If you've ever taught teenagers or high schoolers, object lessons are the key, right? So he, he gets an object lesson going, and he, and he brings a child in, and he puts the child in front of the teenager so they don't missed the point. He puts the young child in front of his disciples and he says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Another Another doozy, right? Kind of like when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and says, hey, what do I need to do? I kind of want to follow. And Jesus says, hey, go sell everything you own. Give it to the poor. And he was like, oh, no, that's too hard. Jesus says, you got to become like a child if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a pretty serious statement. So in both of these stories, I'm seeing two kinds of things happening. Number one, we're seeing Jesus valuing children. He values children and says, don't hinder them. Let them come to me, right? They're important. They're significant. He's valuing children, but the other thing he's doing is he's telling all the grown-ups, you need to be a little bit more like children, and I think that's important for us to understand. There are things about children that we can and should emulate. Not everything. We understand that that we, even though we're ageist, we have to be a little bit ageist in our culture, right? We can't hand the keys to the car to a five-year-old, like there are things that we have to, to wait on for them to grow a little bit. But in general, we can emulate some of the things that children can do and what they're like. So how do we value children? There's a couple things I want to point out today. The first one is we need to understand that Whitney was right, sort of. Whitney was right, sort of, right? She's saying, she I believe that children are our future. And now that song's going to be stuck in your head for days, just like it has been in mine. You're welcome, all right? I believe that children are our future. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Whitney was right, sort of. Um, other people have a little different take on this. There's some other memes. The next one, some people misattribute this quote, uh, maybe think that, Melania Trump said it, although she didn't. Um, that's a joke, people. Uh, the next one, sometimes people are not really excited about what the future holds if uh, our children are like Nacho Libre. Um, and the next one, some people just flat out say, I believe the children are our downfall, um, which is funny Twitter meme. And then, of course, Homer Simpson says, I believe the children are our future, unless we stop them now. <laughs> yeah. So we can take Homer off the screen. Um, but uh, the point is, do you believe that children are the future? That's great. Whitney was right, but only sort of. Why only sort of? Exactly, because when we say children are our future, we are, we are not giving them credit for what they bring right now, right? If we say children are our future, then we just have to warehouse them somewhere, <laughs> right? We just got to get them out of our way, put them in that school or put them in that class or put them in that thing until they grow up then they can be our future. And I'm afraid that sometimes that, that's how we think about kids. We warehouse them until they're old enough to actually have a meaningful contribution. But that's that's just not true. They can contribute right now. I mentioned that our society is kind of not really set up for kids. And, and I say this out of my experience as a teacher of teachers. That's what I do at the university. I teach future teachers who are going to go out into classrooms. So I'm in classrooms a lot and I kind of understand how schools work and... I I don't think it's a secret, but schools were not designed with the best interest of children in mind. If you think about it, it makes sense. Schools were designed with the best interest of the teachers, of the adults who run it, because frankly, children are messy. And I don't mean they make messes, they do, but, but... Teaching children is a messy endeavor. It, it's chaos, right? To let a child truly explore and, and discover and create and all of the things that a child has to do, it, it's, it's pretty much chaos. And we've designed a structure where we have one adult that has to manage 30 of those levels of chaos, so the operating philosophy for all teachers is classroom management one of my least favorite terms of all time. That's what we're doing with our kids. We're managing them. We just have to manage them until they get old enough to be on their own. And what we do in the process is we take away some of that creativity and some of that curiosity and some of those things that I'm telling you Jesus values in children. Children are curious. They're creative. They're brilliant thinkers. They're amazing. But we have put them in these structures that kind of take that away. So again, I'm not preaching to you today to to go fix the school system. I'm I'm asking you to think about how we value our children. And I'm not talking to parents only. I'm talking to everybody who has any encounters with children in any scenario. How do we at LifePath value our children? We have to understand that we're not just putting them in a warehouse until the future happens. They're part of what we're doing today. They have something to contribute right now. Fascinating memory that I have that we don't ever talk about, and I think I confirmed it with, with Keith. We have this amazing thing that we do called microchange. You might know about it, but I'll give you the brief 30-second uh, trailer. Uh, microchange is where we, dro- we, we drop our loose change in a jar in the back, and over the past few years, that program has collected over $12,000, is that right? 11000 okay, over $11,000 dollars. Um, which is a lot of loose change, right? And we take that money and we, we mobilize it to help widows on the east coast of, of India. We, we help them start businesses. Um, these widows have HIV and they can't work uh, because, they, because of their health issues, and so they can start their own businesses, and we help them to do that. And MicroChange is an amazing, fantastic program. But do you know what? The idea, not the implementation, but the idea came from a seven-year-old. At this church. The idea came from a seven-year-old. She said to her mom one day, she said, Mom, why can't we do like, can we, can we have like a treasure box at church where we can all come and like drop our loose change in it? And that was the seed of the idea. And yes, it took grown-ups to implement it and make it happen. But that's a brilliantly creative thing that has led to nearly $12,000 in aid across the world. Children can contribute right now if we listen to them if we engage with them and help them be part of our community and not just sort of warehouse them uh, in the future. There's a great um, Frederick Frederick Douglass quote. I think I have it up here, yeah. It's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Now, he was talking about the immorality of slavery in the context he was writing about, but it, it applies on such a broader level, right? So much easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. If we warehouse our kids and think, oh, they're the future, but we're not going to deal with them right now. Let's just get them grown up. By the time they are grown up, we're going to have to do so much repairing. And I'm kind of seeing that as a college educator. I have college students, and there's a lot of young people in their late teens, early 20s who have a lot of healing and a lot of brokenness that they have to fix because they've kind of just been pushed to the side because our society is not really embracing them. So I think that's the first thing. We have to understand that, that, that Whitney was right, but only sort of, and that means we have to understand that children have value right now. They can contribute right now. The second thing I want to talk about is reframing some of these negative things because we all think about um, there are some negative traits of children, right? And we've said them about our own children, those of us who have kids. Sometimes if you've been around kids, maybe there are things. Um, th- the first one I think about is that kid who asks too many questions. The kid who asks too many questions, right? It's like so annoying. Stop asking questions. But why don't we reframe that as curiosity? Have you ever met a full-grown adult who's curious? Aren't they the best at parties? Like they are interested in so many things... They play music, they write poetry, they read about rocket science, they're really interested in this and that, and they watch documentaries, and they can have a conversation with you for hours about 12 different topics. We love curious grown-ups, but the curious kids, shh, stop, I don't want to answer, I don't know why the guy's blue, stop, you know, whatever. Like, so that, that thing that we think of as childlike, we can reframe that and think, hey, this is actually a positive thing. When Elisa and I were parenting our young children, we were very early in the stages of the parenting game and reading everything we could get our hands on. One of the most transformative ideas that came across our path that really changed the way we thought about how we parent is um, the idea that we weren't raising children, we were raising adults, right? The goal of good parenting or good, good teaching in an elementary classroom, whatever, the goal is not well-behaved children, The goal is adults that are healthy and fulfilled and interested in the world and, you know what I mean, they're contributing. So as soon as you start to see that child as something that is not really negative or a burden or getting in the way of our adult life, so we have to warehouse them, right? If we think of it as, oh, there's actually positive things here, we can get a little closer to what Jesus was saying when he says, let the children come to me, don't hinder them. Another one of these traits might be demanding. You've heard a kid who's demanding. They know what they want, and that's all they want, and they will not compromise. There are legendary stories about Steve Jobs, the creator of Apple, and his high standards. Right? If it's an adult, we say, oh, man, they have really high standards. There are also legendary stories about how childish Steve Jobs was. (laughs) I know that, but... But the point of this illustration is, by having high standards, he built the largest corporation in the world. But that kid who wants the blue cup and does not want the red cup and only the blue cup will do, that bothers us. But you know what? Hey, they just—they know what they want. And that can be a positive trait in an adult. But for a kid, we think, oh, that's not good. Another one. That kid who won't follow directions, you tell them what to do and they just do something different. One of the most important traits that employers want in a college graduate is creative problem solving. We want people to be creative problem solvers. We, Employers in, in our society, we no longer want people to be rule followers and, and assembly line workers who just do what they're told and then take their lunch break at noon. We want people who can think abstractly, who can solve problems, who can try out different things. But what that looks like in a child is a non-compliant child who won't do what they're told. We have to reframe that. And and yes, they, they have to obe- obey some rules, right? Like, don't run into the street, there's traffic, you know, we gotta keep them safe. But so many times we keep our kids in a box. And when we put our kids in a box, I'm not talking about an actual box, by the way. <laughs> if anybody's putting their kid in an actual box, we need to have a different conversation. But if you're keeping our kids in a literal, in a m- metaphorical box, not a literal box, um, then they're not exploring that creative problem solving, right? I will tell you it's hard. This idea of, of not just parenting, but having kids in our community, allowing them to be themselves, it's time consuming. It, like I said before, it's messy. It's a little chaotic. But it's worth it in the end because they grow up to be the kind of adults we want. The last one I want to say is... Uh, Kids who are easily distracted, you've seen that. Kids who are like, oh, let me follow the the squirrel or whatever, right? But they're perceptive. They notice things. So we can reframe some of these things that that we might consider to be negative and realize, wait a minute, when when that child grows up, they're going to have amazing success because of that trait. So... We can value kids by understanding that they have something to contribute now, not just in the future. And we can value kids by understanding that what they do exhibit right now, the traits they exhibit right now, can be reframed to be something positive. Really, really powerful stuff. So what can we do? I think there there are four things that we can do that I want to kind of go over today. This list could have been really, really long. I'm trying to keep it short. The idea is we gotta value our children like Jesus valued children, and we need to become more like children in all the positive and good ways. So the first thing I wanna mention today is curiosity. We need to be curious. We need to be curious about life. We need to be curious about our faith. We need to ask questions. If you've been around Life Path longer than a minute, you know that we are comfortable with questions. It's not only okay to ask questions, it's encouraged to ask questions. A lot of people come into church environments and they think, oh, we can't ask questions, especially about the Bible, right? Because the Bible said it, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, right? No questions. That's not how we operate. Because unless you're asking questions, you can't find some deeper truths. You can't actually get to uh, the next step in your faith. Kind of case in point about the Bible, um, I got my degree from seminary 20 years ago, I'm that old, and just the last 20 years of biblical scholarship. We know so much more now about scripture, about the context, when and where it was written. We we have so much more knowledge now than we did 20 years ago. If I wasn't asking questions all along the way, I'd be stuck in a 20-year-old understanding of what certain things are are in in the bible so we ask questions not because it's bad and wrong and we're doubting and we're rejecting we ask questions because we want to understand better we want to know more deeply we want to understand jesus and who he <clears throat> who he is one of my favorite examples of this with scripture is um there's a a verse i'm gonna get it wrong it's philippians philippians 4 13 is that what it is i can do all things through christ who gives me strength right This is a great verse. When when I was in the youth group, you know, people like to have this verse printed up on a t-shirt or they'd write it on their shoe. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Awesome. Recently, the NIV went through kind of an overhaul, the New International Version of the Bible. So they went through and they made some adjustments. Now if you go to that verse in Scripture, it doesn't say I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength anymore. That is not, not what it says. It says I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. Wait a minute, what? You can change the Bible? Yeah, because the Bible was not written in English, and you may not know this, but the language the Bible was written in isn't spoken by anyone anymore. Like, it's, like, literally, the Greek and the Hebrew that were used in biblical times 2,000 years ago, it's not the same as, as around today. So, biblical scholars have to look at that language and figure out, what does this mean? What does this word mean? The only way they can do that is to compare this word to word in other literature of the same time period and see if they can find it. There are some words in the Bible that don't exist anywhere but the Bible, so they only have to cross-reference the Bible to figure out what that word might mean in every single context. It's a guessing game sometimes, and it's complicated, and it's messy, right? So... Now it says, I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. What is this? This, Paul just right before that rattles off a list and he says something like, I've been shipwrecked, I've been abandoned, I've been beaten, I've been imprisoned, and I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. Similar, but not exactly the same as I can do all things, right? So if you're not curious, if you're not asking the question, if you're not Uh, engaging with that curiosity, you may not get to some of those deeper layers of what things might mean. So be curious not only about the Bible, but we we taught a whole message series, was it a few months ago on curiosity, about asking curiosity questions, about asking questions. Be curious about other people. What is that person's experience like? I wonder why they think differently than I do. Instead of judging people, be curious. Asking questions, uh, last week Sabrina asked the question, what if? How often do we need to ask the question, what if, what if this could happen or that could happen? What if I thought of it this way instead of that way? Be curious. That's a value that children have. They're just naturally curious, but somehow we grow out of that as we get older. The next uh, thing that I think we can do is we can be brave. We can be brave. Children are brave for sure. Um, and I, that, that, may, that may not totally connect with some of you. You may not think of children as brave, but let me throw it to you this way. Children are in a new environment or learning a new thing almost every day. Children who may seem nervous or shy or anxious, they're still brave because what they are doing every day is brand new. They're learning stuff that we think, oh, that's, of course, duh. And they're like, oh, I've never done this before. So it takes bravery to be a child. They're brave. <laughs> Something I like to think about. Have you ever thought about the fact that every year we take a child and we say, now I know you really like your teacher and I know you made a lot of friends, but we're going to move you to a new room in a new part of the building and give you a totally different teacher and a totally different set of friends. We're going to do that every year for the next 12 years. How you like that? Can you imagine if somebody did that at your job? You show up to work one September and they're like, okay, we're moving you to a different building. You're going to work with all new coworkers and you have a new boss every single year? No. Kids are brave. Kids are brave because they face the unknown, they face things they don't understand, and they do it every day. A few weeks ago, Keith wrote a Together for Good. I love this image. He wrote a Together for Good about baby steps. And he asked the question, why do we talk about baby steps as being like, you know, like small and and delicate and like we're just kind of getting there little by little? If we take it literally and we actually are looking at the steps that a baby takes, baby steps are crazy brave, (laughs) Babies like throw themselves forward when they're trying to walk, right? And and, and they fall all the time, but they get back up. Baby steps are brave steps. We need to be more like kids and be brave. Brave in making new relationships and new connections with people who might actually need something that we have to offer. Brave in getting involved with something like prison care or something else. Brave in uh, welcoming people into our life, into our communities that we don't know or understand. Brave in finding new ways that we can uh, worship God or study the Bible or engage with God on some level. We need to be brave in our faith and we need to be brave in our lives. That's being more like a kid, right? Third thing, being fully present. You've all seen children... Who are so focused on what they're doing, like they don't hear or see anything else going on around them, right? Like maybe it's maybe it's a flower, maybe it's a ladybug, maybe it's a you know an art project, whatever it is. But they're so focused. We can handle a little bit more of that in our own lives too, right? Being more fully present. Have you ever had a conversation with uh, an adult and you just get this the feeling that maybe they're not fully with you? They're talking to you, but maybe their mind is elsewhere. Yeah. Have you ever? Gotten that feeling when you're having a conversation with me? It's okay, be honest. Yeah, my brain goes a million miles an hour and sometimes I just can't help it. I'm like, I'm, I'm talking to you and I want to hear what you're saying, but I'm also thinking about 17 other things. And sometimes I walk away from a conversation and I kick myself because I'm like, you know, I can't remember a single thing that that person said. And so then I know I wasn't paying attention. So I try to do better. But, but being more fully present is important to really give someone your attention. One of the lessons that I learned from this, this is really great, Um, early in my career I was a a youth pastor and then I went to California and I was a youth intern at a really big church and the youth pastor at that church was was fairly well known. He wrote a book, and so people would come to the church for these big conferences. And so he would teach on youth ministry, and and um, I was a youth intern at that church, and so I was kind of on the staff team that was helping out with stuff. And I had a very special job, and I had never heard of this before. It was crazy. He actually asked me, he assigned me to, to stay with him. As soon as he was done teaching, he would step off the stage, and of course people would come and want to talk with him, right? Because people always want to engage with a guest speaker after something like that, right? So people would come up, and they would want to talk to him my job was to stand next to him and watch the clock because he's like i don't want to look at my watch i don't want to be i don't want to send a message that i'm not with these people so he was fully engaged in a conversation with everybody that he was talking to and really present and my job was to make sure okay now it's time for him to move on to the next thing and i would step in interrupt politely the conversation and say doug we've got to move on to the next thing And i was like wow what a cool cool thought process that he went through to say, I I want so badly to be fully in the moment, I'm going to put things in place that will prevent me from being distracted about what's happening next, right? I love the movement towards mindfulness that's happening in society. We're all thinking about being more fully present, being more mindful, being more in the moment. Kids are great at it. We could be better at it. Enjoy what's happening right at this moment. Whether it's with another adult, whether it's with a child, whether it's with anything, be present. The last thing I want to say today is uh, what we can do is we can value everyone. I've talked a lot about valuing children today because children are holy. Our children are set apart for a purpose. Uh, Jesus would not have said, let the children come to me and the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these if children were not an important part of the kingdom. So we need to value children. But that also reminds us that we need to value other people as well. We need to value the young and the old. We need to value those who are married and those who are single. I've been in a lot of churches that do a great job of valuing people who are married and they kind of leave single people out of that equation. We need to value what they have to say. We need to value what everyone has to say. Young, old, male and female. We've all seen situations where female voices are marginalized and not valued. We need to value everyone because everyone has something to contribute. Everyone has something to say. And that is a little bit more in line, I think, with what Jesus is saying when he says, let the children come to me, and the kingdom of heaven belongs to such